Let us pray. Father, we believe that all Holy Scripture is written for our learning. And so we pray now by your Holy Spirit that we would so hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest this, your Holy Word, that we would be changed more and more to be like Jesus for the sake of the world. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Do you want to know how significant you are? Do you want to know just how significant you are? Well, then you need to listen to the words of King David. If you want to know how significant you are, King David says you need to look up. You see, Psalm 8 I'll encourage you to turn there in your bulletins since the wording is slightly different than what's in the English Standard Version. This is the new Coverdale Psalter from our prayer book. And it's wonderful, especially today, because it translates a particular word much better than the ESV. We'll get there in the third point of the sermon. But for now, turn to your bulletin version of Psalm 8. What's amazing about Psalm 8 is that here King David is writing the first song of praise within the book of the Psalms. So the Psalter begins looking at a whole bunch of really difficult things. Uh, Wicked people, wicked ways, hardships, enemies. This is what is surrounding Psalm 8. And yet here it's placed near the beginning of the book as a song of praise. And here's what David is telling us. That ultimately Your significance does not come from looking at all the circumstances around you, all the hardship, all the struggles, or your successes. No, your significance is written in the sky, specifically in Psalm 8, in the night sky. If you want to know your significance, you need to look up. When's the last time you actually looked up and lingered? Upon the night sky. King David would say, This is the challenge of us remembering our significance. You see, this week we're taking our students off to camp. I just got back from uh, holidays, from vacation. Thank you so much for a little bit of a break. And it was uh, nice to recover and, and be recharged. And now my first day back after preaching, I'm going with 60 students off to summer camp for a week. So I think all of the rest will be sapped out of me by the end of the week when I stumble back in here to preach next Sunday. But in all seriousness, the reason we take students off to camp, the reason that we ourselves will go off and get out into creation, right? Whether we're looking at the stars, whether we're looking over the Grand Canyon, whether we're standing before a massive sea, We're standing beholding thousand-year-old trees before us. Just the size and the grandeur of these moments, these looking up moments, we do them to be reminded of our significance. You see, our children especially, 
as they're preparing to go off to school, they're living in a world full of meritocracy. That's kind of how the school system's based, right? The grading system, it's all about how well you do, how well you perform. And so just before we're about to throw them back into that environment, we want them to get out of the city, get out of all these man-made structures and actually look up. And in so doing, heed the words of King David and remember our significance. I mean, maybe truly at the end of the week, if I find myself looking up, maybe I'll come back more recharged after this week than before. See, what David is telling us is that we need to look up in order to see our true significance in this world. As we look with gospel eyes upon the heavens, the significance is unbelievable. See, here's what David is telling us in Psalm 8 in brief. Look up and first consider your creator. As we look up, we see the creator, his whole creation, but it points us to a creator. But beyond just looking at our creator, as we look up, what we're beholding, what we're contemplating is how much this creator cares for us. How much he actually cares for us. But even more, as we look up, David is telling us that we will consider our creator who cares so much for us that he would even come and live right here among us. And there we find our significance. See, first we begin with looking up and beholding our creator, considering our creator. Verse three, Psalm eight. When I consider your heavens, even the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have ordained. As we look upon the grandeur of creation, what do we have a sense of? We have a sense that somebody grand put it into place. You know, it's fascinating how even the most hardened atheists, and I can tell you as one who formerly was one, when you stand beholding the grandeur of this creation, there is this sense within you that there must be some kind of source and creator. In fact, even to quote the most famous of atheists, Richard Dawkins, He says this, Richard Dawkins, the scientist who spent his life trying to disprove the existence of God. Here's what Dawkins says. He says, I think that when you consider the beauty of the world and you wonder how it came to be what it is, you are are naturally overwhelmed with a feeling of awe, a feeling of admiration, and you almost feel a desire to worship something. That's Dawkins. Now, why did Dawkins spend his whole life trying to disprove God. He spent his whole life trying to disprove God because as a scientist, he was constantly bumping into God. As he explored the way this universe works, he was constantly being confronted with the reality that there is a creator that has put all this together. I mean, just to give you a a sense this morning of the grandeur, because maybe some of us aren't poetically inclined as Psalm 8 verse 3 would tell us, right? So let's, let's, get a, let's get an object lesson, okay? So how grand are we talking about? So let me give you an example. Between the earth 
and the sun. The distance between our earth and the sun. That's a big distance, right? That's 91 million miles. The distance between the earth and the sun, all right? There's some physicists in the room. They're going to get very excited right now. Father Paul's doing physics. No, he's not. He's read some books. Um, that's 91 million miles. So let's, to scale that, imagine it's like a piece of paper, okay? That 91 million miles now is the width of that paper. We've just shrunk it down to scale. Are you still following me here? Some are like, what is happening this morning? Okay, so 91 million miles is represented by that piece of paper, that height. If you were then to go to, to look at the distance to Alpha Centauri, which is the closest star, you would have to take a stack of paper like this and at that scale, make it 71 feet tall. Impressed yet? Let's go further. If you want to look at the Milky Way, our own galaxy, the width of the Milky Way, you'd have to take it this scale, this stack of papers, and make it 310 miles high. 310 miles of paper height. If you want to get to Andromeda, which is the furthest we can see with the naked eye, you'd have to make this stack of paper 6,000 miles high. And if you want to get to the edge of what's known as the known universe, you'd have to make that stack of paper 31 million miles high. And David says God made it with his fingers. His fingers. You know, it's interesting, he says fingers, he doesn't say hands or arms. It denotes not just the size of this creator, but the artistry. He made it with his fingers, with care, with precision. This is the size and the grandeur of this God. As the poet, priest, Gerard Manley Hopkins says, the world is charged with the grandeur of God. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. Or as King David writes in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. This is the creator that we consider as we look up. But David says he cares for us. See, it's one thing just to say, oh, what a big creator. What a big creation. What a big creator. I mean, what often happens when you're standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon or you're looking up at the stars or looking at something massive? What do we often say to one another? We say, oh, it makes me feel so insignificant, right? Wrong. With gospel lenses, it's exactly the opposite. Because when we read scripture, suddenly we discover that standing before the immensity of this creation, the immensity of this creator, that we suddenly have enormous, immense significance. Because David says, what is man that you are mindful of him? You who set the moon and the stars in place, you are mindful, you pay attention, you care about me and you. David is reflecting upon what scripture teaches right from the beginning in Genesis chapter one, that as God was putting together this whole creation, his crowning achievement, the pinnacle of all his creation 
is in verse 26 when God says, let us make man in our own image. In the, male, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God made humanity to bear the image of the creator. That he, the grand creator, king over all, made us to be his image bearers. You know, in the ancient Near East, what would happen as, a, as, as kings would move in and conquer territories, they would build statues of themselves, likenesses, icons of themselves, images of themselves, so that the inhabitants would remember who the king is. So what does God do in our creation story after he makes it all? He does the same thing. He puts images right there into his kingdom and says, these images are there that you will never as a creation, forget who the creator is. As I often say, I know, if the trees could speak, if creation itself could speak, I know I've been reading too much Tolkien, but if the trees could speak, they would look at you and I and say, you remind me of the king. This is what it means to be made in the image of God. That's why in verse five, if you look at the text, you'll see that he talks about how humanity has been crowned with glory and honor. And in verse six, has dominion. And you want to say glory, honor, dominion, crowns. Aren't those just attributes that belong to God, the king, the creator? Yes, they do belong to God, the king, the creator. And they also belong to those who are made in the king's image. This is who we are before God made in the image of God, incredible dignity, incredible value, incredible significance. And it impacts the way we need to think about not just ourselves, but other human beings around us. I don't know about you, but I'm a frustrated driver on the tollway. I have a tendency, I know I'm alone in this, please pray for me, that I often will utter things about other drivers around me. It's terribly embarrassing. I say terrible, terrible things about the other people around me. And I remember early on when we moved to Texas, we were driving on the DNT and I was um, giving some very strong, friendly advice to um, some cars around me, at which point I heard a little voice in the back seat, uh, my, my second youngest, who just after my tirade, moron, moron, it wasn't moron, it was worth, I, I heard a little voice say, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is another kind word from your pastor. At which point I said, I've got to start dealing with this and, and being better. And so I, I, tried, I try to you know, keep it inside. And like you, I'm sure, because now I, the cat's of the bag, I know that you're just like me on the tollway, that it, it still sometimes just pops out. And, and so now what I do is when that word comes out, you know, I, I just tag on to the end. Of it. You, 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 know, you moron made in the image of God. I mean, it, it's, it's, I think it's better. I, I, I think it's blasphemy. But you know what I'm saying? It, it's, it's, it's. I'm being cured slowly. But the point being that our worldview, the worldview of scripture that says is that we look at this creator and then we see his care that he made us, these human beings in his image. That that incredible dignity and value, it, ours is the only worldview, the scriptural worldview is the only worldview that actually has an answer to why you should treat every human being with dignity. I mean, why shouldn't we just treat people tribally or based on their utility? 
and their use and their proximity to me and my own desires and values? How is it that we could believe that every single human being has dignity and value? It's because as we look up and see the creator and the creation, and we know that we've been made in the creator's image, every single one of us has intrinsic value. And there's an ethical obligation, therefore, of how we treat other human beings. You know, something that the early church did that just baffled the pagans in the first few centuries was that within the supposedly well-developed Greco-Roman worldview, you know, that you just sort of conquered the world, there was still an ability that if you had an unwanted child, you would just leave that child exposed on the side of the road. This is a common practice. Babies exposed, just left out to die. And the Christians started doing this really weird thing in the pagans' eyes. The Christians would go and find them on the highways and the byways and would bring them into their homes and adopt them and raise them as their own. And when that child grew up and they had to finally have that conversation to say, the reason you don't look like mom or you don't look like dad exactly, we found you on the side of the road and we brought you in. The question that child would ask is why? I mean, why? I mean, the, the cost, the time commitment, you pouring out your life, why, why would you do that? And the parent would simply say, because I know that you, like me, are made nothing less than in the image of God. And that God has been so generous to me by grace in Jesus Christ that how could I not show such generosity to you? As C.S. Lewis says, there's no ordinary people. You've never met a mere mortal. No, the only ones you meet are image bearers of the one who created the moon and the stars and ordained their place in creation. And I'll tell you, when that child heard that story, you're not gonna have to do much catechism to convince them of the gospel. They've lived the gospel out in their home. They know the grace of God. Do you wanna know how significant you are? King David says, look up, consider your creator and how much he cares for you. But David even says more, and I don't think David even knows that he's saying as much as he's saying. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David as a prophet is saying more than he yet even knows. Because look at verse four. This is where the word is well translated in our New Coverdale Psalter. And the King James did, you know, the same translation. You know, in verse four, when it says, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man, well, your ESV Bible or your NIV would say the son of man that you think on him or care for him. That's, that's a good translation. But the better translation, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you visit him. Because the word here in the Hebrew is not a caring that cares from a distance or cares just in an objectified way. No, this is a care that literally means to go and hunt and find and seek. That this is a kind of care where the one has gone out to find the object of their care, to be with them, to go to them. And that's why the translation of visit is so good. What is man that you are mindful of? I mean, the son of man that you would visit 
him. What is David talking about? David prophetically and the power of the Holy Spirit is talking about an event that will take place about 1,200 years after the writing of this psalm. When we will read through the angel that this is to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, that a virgin shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. David is prophetically looking to the incarnation. We say it every Sunday in the creed. For us and for our salvation, he came down and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. He took on flesh. John chapter one, right? That incredible story of how in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and through him all things were created. And then says in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us tabernacled among us or as Eugene Peterson says Eugene Peterson says the word took on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood visitation cares for us so much to come to us to live with us to be with us why would he do this Why would the God who set all this in motion, who clearly, looking at his universe, is without any need or any want, why would he do this? Why would he take on flesh? Why would he become fleshy and vulnerable and killable? Why would he walk among us? Except that it's the only way we could know him. The only way we could truly know him because the God that is this big, the God that with his fingers formed the moon and the stars and ordained their places. You and I can't build a rocket ship that is fast enough to reach this God. We can't build a ladder that is long and high enough to reach such a God. Such a God can only choose to come to us. And he does. You know, summertime is a great... Time for taking up new reading. I don't know how many of you are Dorothy Sayers fans. The nine o'clock was pathetic. So let's try again at 11. How many of you are Dorothy Sayers fans? We got, oh, you, yes, you've, well, still really sad. You've like doubled the nine o'clock. But Dorothy Sayers, a contemporary of C.S. Lewis, one of the Inklings, brilliant writer. And what's amazing about Dorothy Sayers, I mean, among everything else she's written, mystery writer, okay, Uh, was one of the first female graduates from Oxford University and by her own description was not very attractive. Now that's not me saying it, that's her her describing herself. I'm not very attractive, right? So mystery writer, one of the first females to graduate from Oxford University and not particularly attractive. Well, she writes among all her stuff, the Lord Peter Whimsy detective series. So Lord Peter Whimsy is this aristocratic amateur detective. He's kind of like a Sherlock Holmes. And uh, many people have said that when you get to know the 11 books that have Lord Peter Whimsey in it, that everybody would say of British literature, everyone wants to be James Bond, but everyone wants to know Peter Whimsey. I mean, he's just this incredibly beautiful, flawed detective. And as he goes through these stories solving crimes, this woman is introduced later into the series. Remember, she wrote 11 books. 
And this woman, this new character introduced in the series is called Harriet Vane. Now, Harriet Vane is described as a mystery writer who is a female graduate from Oxford University and is described as not particularly attractive. Are you following me? Well, Lord Peter Whimsey and Harriet Vane fall in love and they marry. And what scholars of Dorothy Sayers have concluded is nothing less than this. That as Dorothy Sayers was writing and building this world and creating this whole world and creating this man, that she, the author, looked in on the world she had created. She looked upon the man that she had created. And she loved him. And she saw that he was lonely. And he needed help. And so she wrote herself into the story. And so it is with Christmas. God writes himself, the creator, who cares for us. Yes, we're made in the image of God, but he writes himself into the story. Lives with us, loves us that much to help us, to walk with us and teach us that we would know him, to die for us, that we could live with him forever. The incarnation is what David's talking about. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. You didn't know it was Christmas in July. So do you want to know how significant you are? Do you really want to know how significant you are? Heed the words of King David. Don't do what the world tells you and look at all the circumstances around you, how well life is going, all the troubles or joys or sorrows, and sort of add up an equation and say, well, I guess I'm pretty good. Do not look out, look up. That's what David says. Look up with gospel eyes, with scriptural eyes. And see your significance. When I consider your heavens, even the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you would visit him. That's how significant you are. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.